On this episode of the Investment Opportunity Podcast, we take a look at how COVID has affected M&A activity. Welcome to the Investment Opportunity Podcast. We'll educate you on the latest investment trends happening in one of the hottest real estate classes, skilled nursing and seniors housing. We'll point out the risks so you can reap the rewards of investing in this growing and complex industry. And now your hosts, Ben Boland and Brandon Boland. Welcome to the Investment Opportunity Podcast presented by Senwell Senior Investment Advisors. Senwell is a skilled nursing and seniors housing mergers and acquisitions advisory firm, and we are your hosts. I'm Brandon Boland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ben Boland. Today on the show, we have the infamous, I'm sure you've all heard the name if you're in the industry at all, Ben Sweat, who's the editor at the Senior Care Investor. And for those of you who don't know, the Senior Care Investor is a publication where you can find your daily updates on senior care transactions, developments, and senior housing related news. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, you guys. And uh, yeah, you, you nailed what we do. Uh, we've been around for over 50 years and track, you know, senior care M&A, the fi finance world, and uh, produce uh, newsletters, e-newsletters. We've got webinars. We have a, a public database called Deal Search Online that we also uh, curate. So if you're at all interested in investing in the senior care world, then we are probably a pretty good source, if not the first you should come to. Yeah, I, I know that um, a lot of your sources are very well known throughout the industry. So thank you guys um, over at the Senior Care Investor for continuously putting out really good quality content. What we do, um, thanks. So we're we actually having you on the show because we really wanna get down to what's going on in the industry as it relates to COVID. So if you could just at all touch base at a high level of what you're seeing in the market in, in our eyes and our day to day, we've seen a significant drop off in M&A activity, um, not only through this COVID pandemic, but maybe even a little bit before that. So can you touch base on any data that you have available that you're able to share with us today? Yeah, so, I mean, to cut to it, the, the what we've been seeing in the market is not much in the market. And uh, I mean, anecdotally, uh, at the end, the last week of May, we did not have a single uh, publicly announced senior care transaction, which in my memory has never happened. Um, you know, you have to go back a long, long way away, maybe even back to the Great Recession to, to see that uh, happen previously. So that's kind of been the main theme is just not much going on. Um, starting in mid-March, uh, deals, if they were not like up to 90% completed by then really had the pause button hit on them. Lenders, you know, started to really get a little antsy about lending in this environment. You cannot blame them. Uh, you know, sellers started to kind of also hit the pause button, really focus on the crisis at hand. Buyers generally understood that they also wanted to take a break, see how things, you know, flesh out in the next few months get a better sense of, you know, when we could be returning to some kind of normal. And uh, because of that, uh, M&A has really dried up. And I do have some numbers 
um, from our deal search online database. So yeah, that would be great if you could share any of either as it relates to just volume or even dollar volume, if you could share any of that information. And I guess, uh, a question would be comparing 20, I'm assuming 2019 versus 2020, where we stand so far. Yeah. So for the first five months of 2019, we had 201 publicly announced senior care deals. And in that same time period in 2020, including, you know, two and a half months of pretty normal M&A activity, we have 139 deals. Wow. So, yeah. And it, it, it gets even worse wow. when you look at, you know, May transaction totals in 2019, we had 45 publicly announced deals in May. And this year, that was just 19. Um, And another uh, time period that we've been looking at is kind of from March 15th to today. March 15th is, you know, it, it, it varied across the country, but that seemed to be a pretty consensus date of when something started to hit the fan. And so since March 15th in 2019, we had 104 publicly announced deals. And so far in 2020, that is just half. It's 52. Half. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And then when you look at dollar volume, which it's not the best indicator of M&A health because it's contingent on prices actually being revealed to the market. But in 2019, in the first five months, we had uh, about $5.3 billion in uh, total dollar volume. And for that same period in 2020, it was uh, just over 3.3 billion. So. So, so just since that, if we take a look at that snapshot from March until now, uh, you you had mentioned 52 transactions in that Mm -hmm. time period. Um, Do you think, I guess, what portion of that 52 is originated deals during that timeframe? I would imagine significantly almost net zero and most of those maybe were originated in the first quarter and maybe started um trickling into oh, where if we not are way before that sure yeah that's a good point i mean you have to look at all the deals that are revealed with the public reits and uh, public operators quarterly earnings reports um in may our estimate was that about half the deals that were publicly announced were from those q1 reports mm-hmm. and so those are deals that closed in q1 if not earlier, and they're just coming to the market now, just coming, coming to the light now. And so that's, it, it is not an indicator at all of like the M&A activity that actually happened in April, in May. Based on closings, we don't have an official number because we have a separate transaction uh, database that covers deals on a closing date basis. And, um, but that's a private database. And um, I, I, will tell you that the number of deals that have closed since March 15th are far lower than in 2019. Sure. Far lower. And that, that cannot surprise. Sure. No, especially because 2019 was such a great year to begin with. Yeah. Um, yeah that's what's so stark. I mean, 2019, we had 450 total uh, publicly announced transactions in senior care. And that's not including a lot of deals that are you know, done off off market or confidentially disclosed to us. So it, it the difference is just made even starker because of that. Was before COVID, do you think 2020 was heading toward that direction to surpass 2019? Some of the indicators in the first quarter showed that um, M&A activity was slowing down a bit. And 
I don't think anyone would point to COVID as, as a reason for that, even in the first quarter. I mean, the deals that closed in March, I think there were um, well over 30 of those. You know, most of those deals were pretty much all done and dusted by the time they, um, you know, were actually completed. So, uh, but going back to your point, yeah, M&A did seem to be slowing down a little bit in the first couple of months uh, of 2020. We're not exactly sure why. I mean, coming off of such a, a red hot year, it's possible that a lot of people were just taking a breath, trying to consolidate their portfolios and, you know, focus on operations a bit before going back to the market. Perhaps they saw pricing was also rising a little too high. Maybe wanted to wait for that to come down a little bit. Um, but we, I don't think anyone could have anticipated this kind of slowdown. And so um, when you start to actually break down those numbers, you start to see that uh, very little deals were originated during this COVID timeframe, which assumes that the second half of the year looks awfully gloom and doom. Um, I, I guess, have you guys taken a look at maybe readjusting some of your assumptions and where you stood from the beginning of the year? And what do you think third quarter looks like, fourth quarter looks like, or, or are we just considering um, this year to just kind of be written off and start to look at 2021? I'd say writing off the year is feasible. I mean, Q Q3 seems like it would be the period that would be hardest hit just as far as deal totals. Right. By Q4, you can imagine that some people will, you know, the market will start to normalize. People will start to kind of feel a little more confident in the assumptions that they're going to make about how COVID's actually going to affect census in the long run, expenses in the long run. Lenders will start to come back to the market a little bit. We're already hearing rumblings about that starting to happen starting in mid-May, uh, which is, you know, it's it's good news, but if lenders are just starting to poke their heads up right now, we're still months away from any transactions getting announced. So our our idea is that Q3 is going to be uh, significantly uh, less active than uh, than Q2. Q4, we may start to see a turnaround, possibly returning to some kind of normal in Q1, especially if there's a huge influx of deals that are, you know, just waiting to close and kind of waiting just for some sense of certainty. So, but well, I mean, who knows anything these days? Right. Yeah. So, so going back to last year, I think with, with the number of transactions that we saw, I think in my conversations that I've had, as well as I'm sure what, what you've had, I think PDPM was a big driver for a lot of those transactions. Um, a lot of mom and pops getting out of the industry. Are, are you hearing any inclination for PDPM rolling over to any residual sales for, for 2020? We're not sure that PDPM will be as much of a factor in people's decisions to sell or acquire post COVID-19. Um, I, I think those facilities it's probably a, like further down on their on their minds right now, and you know Medicare coming out with um, you know, early reimbursement, uh, Medicaid also having some emergency rate increases in a number of states. Um, I think that uh, what whatever potential adverse effects 
or positive effects from uh, from PDPM, it'll be really tough to kind of gauge what those are because you know elective surgeries sense uh, are are way down right now. They'll you know they'll come back soon. Census has dropped significantly across skilled nursing facilities, and so it'll it'll, it'll that'll be tough to tell in in twenty twenty. Um, another, but another point regarding uh, PDPM is that that was a big reason we think why MA was so active in 2018 and 2019 was that there were just so many smaller mom and pops, smaller regional operators that, you know, PDPM was just one extra thing that potentially was going to, you know, shut them out of a lot of the higher paying Medicare patients. Uh, you know, it was another more complex reimbursement system and uh, coding system to, to figure out. And so that was probably a, a pretty big push for a lot of them to get out of the market. And uh, we can't imagine that COVID-19 is <laughs> keeping any, any, any other of those smaller operators in the market for much longer. Yeah, I mean, um, exactly. It's, well, it's so hard to predict, right? Because you, you have zero consistency in what's going on right now. You have somebody that's barely scratching by paying all the expenses towards higher labor costs and PPE. And then uh, they're, they're struggling. And then all of a sudden the, the cares Act comes out and they help them out a little bit. And then the relief fund comes out with $4.9 billion. But still, even with that, the, the census is a dramatic impact to a lot of these people that were barely getting by to begin with. So, yeah. And there's a lot of uncertainty around, how much longer government government relief will continue? And, That's right. You know, to what scale? So, Ben, what's your sense of um, you? You've been having conversations with lenders, brokers, operators, propcos. What's your sense of kind of the seller the seller's standpoint going forward? I know Ben and I in our day to day discussions, we're if we're talking to operators or propcos um, or owner operators that have a strong balance sheet. We're certainly making a very strong recommendation to hold on if you can and um, kind of ride this out and and get NOI back to some level of stabilization before uh, thinking about proceeding with any kind of a disposition. So what's your take out there? Are, are you seeing um, some people still out there in the market saying that there's going to be a flood of those operators or owner operators who maybe don't have a strong balance sheet? who can't withstand that, this storm, if you will. Um, do you, do you see any of that happening in the future, at least through the rest of the year? Quite possibly, especially if, you know, government sources, payer sources don't continue to help out their balance sheets, uh, in the near term, you know, if any of them do want to sell right now, most of them, I would say probably can't just because the, you know, the, the mechanics of going through the sales process right now are just, it, it's, nearly impossible right now you know you you try to get due diligence done that's very difficult in in the skill in the skilled nursing environment right now just kind of trying to get into these facilities you know, getting a, a buyer with a bank behind them has got to be a lot tougher right now too um and just uh, there's a lot of them are also just you know kind of stopping and focusing on the crisis at hand right now and you know trying to stabilize things um but i can i can certainly see in the future um this may not be in the business for a lot of them that they want to continue in. Yeah. It, speaking of banks and, and debt, you just, you just put out an article on some, 
a really heavy price tag on on some some debt that was just raised by a REIT. Uh, what's mm-hmm. going on in the debt markets right now that you're seeing? I mean, mostly a standstill in the debt markets right now. Uh, there's there's so much less debt capital available to borrowers right now. You know, let lenders, have, if they're even in the market right now, are requiring a lot more equity up front on deals. Um, they're requiring debt service reserves for a longer period of time going forward. And, you know, there's still so much uncertainty about uh, what, how ne- uh, NOI will be affected in the next year, two years, because of everything that's going on, you know, from census to increased expenses to labor costs going forward. Um, you know, lenders are really starting to scrutinize in the long term what kind of increased expenses will stem from this, whether staffing ratios will stay the same as they are, you know, a year from now, just no one knows. And then, you know, credit spreads are also widening right now. Um, but I'd say, that, you know, the, the main thing from the, the uh, debt markets right now is that there's not much going on, a lot tougher to, to, to get debt capital right now. We are certainly, um, we've had several conversations. It does take a lot of creativity right now to to structure a debt deal mm-hmm. and i think we are seeing it we're seeing some really creative ways to go through and um go through due diligence and and i think most of that is strongly related to a previous relationship that the propco and the and the debt um, service providers were they've historically had i don't think there's any new relationships forming in this industry so um you would have had to have had a performing operator and a, a performing relationship, I think, in order to succeed in this environment. Yeah, I, I certainly have not seen any lenders new to the assisted living or, or skilled nursing market right now. Yeah. I don't think yeah. this is their time to jump in. The question is, with higher higher cost of debt, that's going to trickle down to the, ultimately, the, it could trickle down to the cap rates. Um, so wh- where do you see where do you see those rates going? And, and have you talked to anybody with your conversations in the, out there in the market on that? Yeah, we've, we've had a bunch of conversations with the brokers, the lenders, um, owners in the market, and it's tough to get a straight answer out of anyone. Um, you know, two main factors will probably result in higher cap rates in, within the next year, possibly two, and that is the, the higher borrowing costs and then the increased risk of operating in this environment. Um, and it's tough to say what exactly the impact on cap rates will be. Um, as recently as the 12 months ending uh, March 31st, um, cap rates were pretty much across the board at an all-time low across the three um, major senior care sectors. For assisted living, they were around 77 uh, percent independent living was lower at 6.9 percent and sniffs were as they always are right around 12 percent it was uh, i think 12.1 percent um and so you can you can see those possibly uh increasing by 100 basis points 150 basis points it may vary by sector too yeah but, that was my uh, next you know there's was... just no there are no transactions to look at right now as to how exactly they will change it seems as almost the the skilled nursing environment might get scaled a little bit different than the seniors housing and independent living side of things just given the uncertainties and the risk around 
you know, Medicare, Medicaid, and these one-time stipends that might become permanent, that might not become permanent, that might become a, you know, a one-time thing. So, you know, at the same time, there are potentially, there are different problems for long-term demand in each sector. Skilled nursing, there's always going to be a place for that because it's lower cost setting for a lot of post-acute care patients. And so hospitals and health systems and the payers will continue to send patients to, to, to SNFs. And they'll keep sending medically complex patients, which will in turn, you know, boost the revenues for those SNFs after PDPM. Assisted living and independent living, you know, assisted living is more need-based. And so there will certainly always be a market for that. You know, the frailer seniors who can't live in their homes anymore will you know, the assisted living and memory care communities will continue to be probably the safest places for those sorts of residents. Independent living, which, you know, is a luxury to most and uh, totally elective to, to seniors to move into. We'll see what happens in the long run. If, if the main selling point to independent living is the socialization aspect and social living, communal living among seniors may change for the long run, like, who knows what it'll look like a year, two years, five years from now. Um, but it's, it's certainly a question to ask in the independent living market. So I think as we look forward, you, you've kind of alluded a lot uh, to this in the conversation today. But um, as we look forward, the most certain thing that we know is that the future is uncertain. So I guess what, what are you thinking about as you start to put content out? at the senior care investor, what are some of the, the topics that you are excited about writing about? It's tougher to get excited about writing about a lot of these topics these days. It's been kind of gloomy recently, but th- the main things that we really just want to touch on are the potential problems that the senior care industry will likely face. And we, we write about those topics from the point of view of, we love this industry, we think it's a very important industry for the, you know, the care of our seniors. And we think in the long run, it will be, it'll do just fine. But there are just a lot of uncertainties that if people, you know, are, aren't thinking about or ignoring right now that we're just trying to bring to light. I mean, there's so much uncertainty about the long-term impact on census, on new development, on, you know, if there's a lot of unemployment right now, are workers going to come to the senior senior care industry when there may be other choices that potentially easier or potentially will pay more. You know, you, you, you also have to look at what loan terms and liquidity will be in in the near term, potentially the long term. all the PR surrounding, you know, the media spotlight on skilled nursing and what kind of impact that has on the assisted living market, just because of how many people commingle assisted living with skilled nursing. It's all the old folks home, the nursing home. What kind of effect will that have on just the brand of seniors housing in the future? And so it's, we, we try to shed a light on all these uncertainties. Uh, we go into a lot more detail in the newsletter, in our webinars and uh, in our e-newsletters as well. But uh, just something that we think is important to, to point out um, to investors and operators and owners uh, in a space that we love. Well, we certainly appreciate you putting out that content. I know Ben and I get a lot of, out of it, and I'm sure the rest of the, the industry does as well. So thank you for that. And I would assume that people can go 
and follow you to to learn more about a lot of these um, stories that I would anticipate you're going to be writing about here in the very near future. So um, what's a good way that people can either get in touch with you or follow you or, or read some of your articles? So we post a lot of our content on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, we try to foster discussions on those platforms as well. Uh, we have our uh, online content at um, seniorcare.levinassociates.com that uh, has all of our online articles. But then also, you know, if you just want to have a chat, uh, if you have a deal to report or a, you know, a loan that you closed, very rare these days, but uh, if you do and you definitely want to let people know that you're open for business, that you're closing deals, um, just send me an email and uh, we, we can go from there. Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining us. It's valuable content, and uh, we're looking forward to the content that you'll be we, putting out here in the in the new future. What we will have all of that information in the show notes. So if anyone didn't get that, if they're driving in their car, uh, we'll we'll put all of that info in the show notes for you, Ben. Great. Right. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, I I appreciate uh, you having me on. Yeah, thanks. And it's good to see you on video instead of in an article in in written form. This is <laughs> this is nice. It's a little more social, yeah. <laughs> Definitely a better, better platform. Next time, hopefully at a conference over some few, uh, a few cocktails at a happy hour. Oh, hopefully, hopefully sooner rather than later. All right. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Thanks. Thanks, you guys. Bye. Hey, guys. Hope you enjoyed the show. This is the What You Got segment. A couple episodes ago, we talked about an opportunity that was unique to most people, although not unique to us at Senwell. We talked about Certificate of Need Law, or CON, and most of the time, skilled nursing beds fall under that CON. However, this opportunity is unique in that it's in a state where both skilled nursing and assisted living and memory care beds all fall under the CON. That state is North Carolina. We have an opportunity where if you're interested in developing either a combo SNF AL memory care facility or a standalone AL or standalone SNF, there's an opportunity to acquire bed licenses on both the skilled and assisted living side. If you have any interest in developing a new project or adding to an existing project, you can contact me directly at brandon at senwelladvisors.com. That's brandon at senwelladvisors.com. Thank you for listening to the Investment Opportunity Podcast. If you want to hear more about investing in the skilled nursing and seniors housing industry, head to our website at www.senwelladvisors.com slash podcast.